man, we're going to have an awesome time this morning because uh, God's already showed up pretty big already, hasn't he? Oh, yeah. Hey, man, what a, what a great song to end worship with. Uh, man, we had prayer this morning. J.D. texted me this morning. He said, man, take prayer this morning. Whoever had it didn't have been able to make it. And, uh, man, we played a song. We played um, Perfectly Loved this morning, if you've heard that on the radio. Uh, man, you are perfectly loved this morning. I don't know what's going on in your life and how unlovely or unloved you feel, but you are perfectly loved. Amen? Amen. So thank you all for being here. Uh, we're going to have an awesome day as we continue on in Genesis. Uh, before we go any further, uh, let's just go ahead and pray. Father God, I love you and praise you. Uh, you are awesome, awesome. Holy Father, I thank you for this time that you set apart for us to worship you by getting into your word and uh, opening our hearts and minds to you that you may fill us with yourself, with your word and with the reality of who you are and who we are in you and just the ridiculously amazing blessing that we have in you. So I praise you for that. I thank you for it. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would just remove me from this, speak through me. Uh, that your word would not come re return void, which you promised. So I thank you for that. Uh, move here today by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So a uh, little quick review. Uh, so we've been uh, all the way up to chapter 4. We're not quite going to finish chapter 4 today, but we're going to get close. Uh, Adam and Eve have sinned, right? They got kicked out of the garden. Uh, this isn't a real line-by-line -line thing. Uh, broke fellowship with God, right? How awesome is that to have been in perfect fellowship with God and then, then they fall for sin, fall for Satan's lies, and, um, and that fellowship is broken. So uh, they have two sons, Cain and Abel, and apparently Adam and Eve had shared uh, with them about God and the sin that removed them from the garden and from the intimacy they had with God because in time it says that Cain and Abel each brought an offering to God. Abel brought the, the fat portion of the first of his flock, and uh, Cain brought some of his fruit of the soil. And as we learned last week, Abel's offering was acceptable to God, right? There was a, a sacrifice in Abel's uh, offering. Uh, it was the firstborn. It wasn't a leftover. It wasn't one that had a bad leg anyway. You won't go get but three hands off of it. It was the firstborn of his flock. Um, he had the very best that he gave. He held nothing back, and he didn't give the leftovers. Now, Cain's offering, uh, it was not acceptable to God, and um, it doesn't spe specify it particularly, but if we look at it, we realize that there was no sacrifice involved. Uh, it wasn't his first or best of his crop. It was just some of it. Um, it's as if Cain had kept the very best for himself and offered God what was left over. Now, it doesn't specifically say that, but that's what we can pull from that, I believe. And, and, and here's the thing, and I believe that it's true. It was a hard issue with Cain. He had a hard issue with it. I mean, he was willing to do it, but it wasn't really from his heart. It wasn't really something that, man, I want to I sacrifice for my Lord. Uh, but isn't that the way it always is, really? Uh, when it comes to how we respond to God, it matters about our heart. 
And when we don't respond rightly, it's probably because we've got a heart issue. There's something going on where that intimacy is broken, and it affects how we respond to God. Scripture tells us that Cain is very angry, and his face was all downcast. Uh, God told him, if you do what's right, you'll be accepted. If you do what's right, you'll be accepted. Now, now all he had to do was ask God how. Well, Lord, how do I do that? I thought I did something. But he didn't. He didn't do that. God even warned Cain. He says, if you do what is right, if you don't do what's right, he said, sin is crouching at your door, desiring to have you, and you must rule over it. Now, check this out, man. Abel's sheep was all in. His sheep were dead. All in, right? There won't no going back for the sheep. That sheep was not on a diet plan and went and got some liposuction for the fatty portions to be donated. He died. But here's the thing. So was Abel. Abel was all in, too. He was willing to take the very best that he had and give it to God. Man, it's still what God expects from us today. Yes, we are absolutely saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, just as Jesus freely gave himself as a sacrifice for sin for us, uh, he gave all, so we offer all of ourselves to him. Right? We sacrifice to God the very best, best of our time, our talents, and our treasures. Uh, as J.D. put it yesterday, uh, our, uh, all of my attention, affections, abilities, and assets last week all of those things, everything about me is available to God. Does that mean God's going to take everything and leave you naked and sitting in a, a homeless in a shelter somewhere? No, that is not what it means. But it's all His. It's all His. You know, it's that idea of being ready so you don't have to get ready. Man, if you make it available to Him, then when the opportunity comes, you don't have to wonder and figure in any of that. You just do what He calls you to. Predetermine in your mind and in your heart that whatever God asks of you, the answer is yes. Practice your yes. I mean, sometimes in this world, we need to practice our no. I'll tell you sometimes, man, you get caught up in the stuff, volunteering for everything. Sometimes you need to practice your no, but with God, it's always yes. Man, you build margin into the, all the areas of your life so that when you see God moving, when you see God working, you can join him. Man, if you don't build margin in, you're not going to have the time. You're not going to have the money. You're not going to have this, the peace, or you're not going to have whatever emotional energy you need to be able to move forward. You build it into your life. That's why God's so important about us having our period of rest, having a Sabbath. Pain could, pain, Cain could have repented from his half-hearted offering, but instead he was defiant. Instead of he let pride and anger and jealousy lead him to commit murder, he killing his own brother. Man. And just like a half-truth is a whole lie, a half-hearted surrender is no surrender at all. Now, is that something we grow into? Yeah, man, you're probably not going to get saved and just be like, woo, I'm all in, I get it. Because we grow in that. But you know what? It's still a call to surrender. We don't drag our feet in that. We apply ourselves. 
last Sunday was a call to surrender all. And today what we're going to see is the ramifications of not doing that. Uh, when we do not surrender all, there are ramifications from that. Things happen. Man, we see how the generational effect of sin and its consequences are amplified in the lives of Cain's descendants. Uh, we're going to be looking at Genesis uh, verse 17 through 24. And uh, if you're new here today, first time, hey, who's first timers today, man? I didn't get to see everybody. Cool, y'all are all behind me. Awesome to see y'all today. Uh, have y'all here. Uh, I have a little nutshell just in case, like you fall asleep, <laughs> you have something to take away. So I try to have a little nutshell every week, just a little sentence or two I hope that you get out of this today. And my nutshell this week is this. It says, with a half-hearted devotion to God, you will turn away from him and towards Satan and sin. Without repentance, rebellion always increases, resulting in more sin and greater separation from God. That's the reality of a half-hearted uh, surrender, a half-hearted devotion to God. And, and a short version, y'all liked the short version last time, so I, I got that. Sin's slippery, so, slippery slope sucks. <laughs> Try saying that three times fast. Sin's slippery slope sucks. And you know what? That's true. <laughs> Sin and Satan, man, they suck the peace of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus, and the joy of Jesus right out of your life. And it does. It sucks it all out. But praise be to God, take heart, it does not suck the love of Jesus out of your life. And today, that was a perfect song because you are perfectly loved. There's nothing in your past that made God not love you anymore. There's nothing in your future that can keep God from loving you. He absolutely loves you. And he's got so much in store that he wants to do in and through you if we'll just surrender all. So, uh, lineage of Cain today, exciting stuff. We get to read through some names in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, uh, so we, we actually had a discussion about this Tuesday night at um, Iron Man about, man, uh, sometimes it's kind of hard. I just kind of blow through that section. <laughs> but we really don't need to do that. So, uh, I, I thought before we get into it too much that we would actually take a look at uh, what's the big deal? Because we're looking at the first lineage put into the Bible. So why? What is the big deal? So this is a kind of a borrowed or changed a little bit from um, gotquestions.org about lineages and uh, why they're there. And it says that it, uh, it helps substantiate the Bible's historical accuracy, right? You've got it written down, who they are. It confirms the physical existence of the characters in the Bible. You can see when they happen based on their lineage and their family. Uh, it confer, um, by knowing family histories, we understand that the Bible is far from a mere story or a poor parable about how we're supposed to live our lives. It's, uh, it's authentic. It's historical truth. The Bible's not something that's made up. I, I tend to sometimes shy away from talking about so-and-so's story in the Bible because sometimes we think that makes it a fairy tale. It's historical truth. It's an account of something that happened. 
An actual man named Adam had actual descendants, and therefore his actual sin has actual consequences. If all this is a fairy tale, then what's it matter? And why are we so jacked up? Genealogies confirm prophecy. The Messiah was prophesied to come from the line of David in Isaiah 11.1. 1, and by, by recording his lineage in Scripture, God confirms that Jesus was a descendant from David. You see that in Matthew, 1, uh, Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 17, and there in Luke 3 also. Uh, genealogies attest to Jesus Christ's fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. If they weren't there, we would just have to take their word. The lists demonstrate the detail-oriented nature of God and his interest in individuals. God saw with precision and with detail. There's nothing detached about the genealogies. They show a God that's involved. The inspired word of God mentions people by name. And they're real people with real histories and real futures. And God cares about each person and the details of his or her life. That's still true for you and me too. So let's read through our scripture, and maybe I won't stumble through the names <laughs> too badly, and, uh, and then we'll walk back through it and see what God has for us in it. So starting in chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Cain had sexual relations with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain founded a city which he named Enoch after his son. Enoch had a son named Irid, and Irid was the, became the father of Mahujael. Jael. Mahujael became the father of Methushael. Methushael became the father of Lamech. And then Lamech married two women. The first was named Ada, and the second was named Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabel, who was the first of those to raise livestock and live in tents. His brother's name was Jubel, the first, to play, the first of all to play the harp and flute. Lamech's other wife, Zillah, gave birth to a son named Tubal-Cain, and he became an expert in forging tools of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain had a sister named Nama, and then it shifts gears on us. It says, and one day Lamech says to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Listen to me, you wives of Lamech. I have killed a man who attacked me, a young man who wounded me. If someone who kills Cain is punished seven times, then the one who kills me will be punished 77 times. All right, so what, what do we pull out of that? That's our whole total scripture for today. What can we get out of that? Uh, we see Adam, from Adam to Cain, is uh, the first seven generations. Um, I'm not going to run through the names. I put that down here, but I jacked that up enough, so we're just going to move on through that. <laughs> I did, but that's okay. What more do we learn through the genealogy in our Scripture? So let, let's kind of just walk through it and see what's going on. Uh, starting in verse 17, it says, Cain had sexual relations with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain founded a city, which he named Enoch after his son. So, so Cain had been sent out from the Lord's presence to be this restless wanderer on the earth. Uh, he lived in a land of Nod, and it was east of Eden with his wife. Well, his wife, let's just go ahead and address this. Y'all can say, ugh. 
His wife was most likely his sister, taken from a rapidly growing population. Um, we learn in chapter 5, though, that Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters, so that's where they came from. And uh, at the end of chapter 4, we learn that Adam fathered Seth after Abel was killed. So we know from the, the, the beginning, from the time he was sent out, there were other brothers and sisters of his around. And, and uh, you know, marrying your sister or even your half-sister, it wasn't outlawed until the time of Moses. Don't make it not any less yuck. <laughs> but it's how the earth was populated at that time out of necessity. It's just what it was. And, uh, you know, you look at it then and sin hadn't had its full effect. And the, the DNA hadn't spread enough to go find other people. So uh, it was just pure enough that they could do that. And it didn't cause problems. And if you don't need an example, I mean, I don't care about that. I don't know how God did it. I just know it worked. And that's the way it worked. And when, <laughs> when, the, when the gene pool had spread and there were enough people, God said, no, don't be doing that no more. <laughs> Ain't no need for that. All right, so, so probably his sister. Um, but it's interesting, as we read on, we see progress even in the midst of spiritual decline. There were advancements in culture and industry, such as it was, happening through the lineage of Cain. Uh, he didn't kill his brother, get sent out into the wilderness, and God abandoned him. He still was able to create and make things. Cain's wife became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. And it says, and then Cain founded a city which he named Enoch after his son. Now, uh, we don't know how long Cain had been in the, the land of Nod. But, but I'm guessing it wasn't long enough for him to forget that God had told him he was to be a restless wanderer of the earth. Um, so even with God's provision and his protection, his rebellious spirit towards God is still playing out. And is building a city to settle in and naming it after his son instead of being the wanderer he was commanded to be. In the city named after his firstborn son, Cain's intent was more man-centered than it was God-centered. You can see that, by the way. He didn't name, you know, if he had followed God at all, he made it like, I'm going to name this something that glorifies God because I'm, I'm, I'm surviving out here. I thought I was going to get killed, and here I am. I'm, I'm doing okay. But he didn't do that. He named it after his son to bring glory to himself and glory to his family and his son. You know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, there, there's no record of the city of Enoch anywhere else in the Bible, and its exact location is still unknown. Even so, it was kind of the beginning of populations coming together in an urban setting uh, rather than just uh, being farmers and being out living on the land. In verse 18, it says, Enoch had a son named Irod, and Irod became the father of Mahuel, and Mahujael, that's the same guy, I just pronounced it different. <laughs> I really did practice this, but I knew it was going to jack me up. <laughs> Mahujael became the father of Methushael, and Methushael became the father of Lamech. That's why I did not run through that before, and there's no need to do this three times. Um, all, this is all we really know of three generations of Cain's lineage, of Irod, Mahujael, and Methushael. The Bible doesn't say anything else about them. Um, now, now, maybe in the grander scheme of a downward spiral of sin being unremarkable isn't the worst thing that could be said about you, uh, but it's not the best thing either. And, and realistically, because of what we know about sin, probably they were jacked up too. 
They just didn't rate putting it in the Bible. But what we do learn is that uh, it was a considerable amount of time between verses 17 and verse 19 where Lamech gets married. Uh, many scholars believe that Lamech was a contemporary of Noah, uh, who was from the lineage of Seth. In uh, verse 19, it says, Lamech married two women. The first was named Ada, and the second was named Zillah. Now, um, not a great distinction. Lamech's the first bigamist in history, uh, rebelling against God's original plan for one man and one woman to become uh, one flesh in marriage. And uh, while polygamy wasn't outlawed by God until the law was given, it was still not part of God's plan for marriage. God didn't bring two suitable helpers to Adam. He brought one. Verse 24, it says, that is why, in verse 24 of uh, Genesis 2, 24 and 25, it says, that is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And that was, that was before the fall when everything was perfect. It wasn't God's plan for there to be more. And, and, and here's the kind of interesting thing. Uh, every polygamist in the Bible, including David, the man after God's own heart, and Solomon, the wisest man in the world, they all paid dearly for that sin. It had an effect. Sin always has an effect. Man, God's plan is still perfect. So why is it that we still try to see how far we can get without it being sin? Man, man, hear this. When our ways are in conflict with God's ways, the wholehearted surrender is the default to His ways. Default to His ways, whether it's sin or not, right? If our ways... The way we want to do something is in conflict with what God's ways say, even though it's not specifically outlined in the Bible, make our default to do it the way that God would do it. Use some discernment. And it doesn't matter if it's sin. Don't try to see how close you can get to it. See how far you can get away from it. There's even some good things that aren't the best, right? Good's the enemy of the best. Man, choose God over whatever else that could be um, detrimental not only to your life, but to your witness and follow him completely. And if you want to know God's ways, man, get into his word and look to Jesus. Colossians 1.15 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Now back to our scripture for today in verses 20 through 22. Uh, it says, Lamech married two women. The first was Ada and the second was Zillah. And then it says this, Ada gave birth to Jamel, to Jabel, who was the first of those to raise livestock and, and live in tents. His brother's name was Jubel, the first to of all to play the harp and the flute. Lamech's other wife, Zillah, gave birth to a son named Tubacon, Cain. He became an expert in forging tools of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain had a sister named Nama. Now, now, there's some pretty interesting little tidbits of information included about Lamech's sons. Uh, in this, these verses, we find a, a pretty rapid advancement in uh, places to live and music and, and even in the arts and, and metalworking. So, so there's some stuff going on. Uh, 
during this period of uh, the, the lineage of Cain, Jabel was the first who raised livestock and lived in tents. Uh, Jubal played the, uh, was the first of all to play the harp and the flute and created the harp, or the, the lyre, lyres it's called sometimes, and the flute, and he created music. Uh, Tubal came, became an expert, forging tools of bronze and iron. And, and these little snapshots, they don't tell us the whole story, but by God's grace, they built a city. They have places to live. They've got livestock to eat, musical instruments that made life more enjoyable. Uh, they had tools of metal make and made work more bearable. Um, with creativity and invention, civilization, such as it was, began to develop in a number of ways, making life easier and more comfortable. It was a period of advancement and a period of plenty in their lives. But their sin and their rebellion was advancing and multiplying as well. And with the bronze and iron tools for work came along with them tools of violence and tools of war. And then we come to this part in verses 23 and 24 where Lamech, he, he had something he wanted to declare. And check it out, man. He says, one day Lamech says to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Listen to me, you wives of Lamech. Don't you sound proud? <laughs> How's that? How would that fly with you? I'm just wondering. <laughs> Don't answer out loud. Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Listen to me, you wives of Lamech. I have killed a man who attacked me, a young man who wounded me. And if someone who kills Cain is punished seven times, then the one who kills me will be punished 77 times. Now, if you remember the story last week uh, about Cain, he was like, God is sending him out, and he's like, you've punished me too much. Uh, you know, a redeemer's going to come, and he's going to kill me. So he, he, he pleaded with God, it's just too much for me to bear. And God said, okay, well, I'll put a mark on you. And if anybody comes and tries to kill you, I'll punish them seven times what I'm doing for you. So what, uh, what's being said now, Lamex is like, hey, somebody kills me for this. Somebody comes and tries to do this to me. God give them 70 times seven, 77 times more than what I got, what, what he got. Man, he's pride. He's boastful. Lamech is six generations away from Cain, and he demonstrates that he has the same rage, the same violence, and the same arrogance that Cain did when he murdered Abel. Man, it's messed up. Our scripture doesn't say how bad the guy that wounded Lamech was, how, uh, how bad the guy wounded Lamech, but the uh, New American Standard Version translated the young man portion as a boy that struck him. So he's really young. And you think in Jewish culture at about 13 you're considered a man. It wasn't self-defense. It was vengeance. It was overkill. And it's the same thing that Cain had feared, right? That somebody was going to have vengeance on him that Lamech did. He took vengeance on a little kid or a young man for injuring him. And we don't even know how, hard it, how bad it injured him. It wasn't self-defense or a confession of humble repentance, but a boastful, arrogant statement. Lamech proudly proclaimed the vengeance he took on the young man or the boy that had hurt him. Man, pride and arrogance proved its foolishness when Lamech started to speak, and he was deaf to his own words. He couldn't even hear how stupid he sounded. 
And if it's not clear enough, Lamech claims that if Cain's protection from vengeance was seven times his, Lamech's would be 77 times the punishment, as though he de deserved any, any support or any protection at all. You know, Jesus reminds us of the foolishness of that kind of thinking in Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, right? It's not vengeance, it's forgiveness. That slope of sin has sucked them in, and their lives are getting worse and worse and more sinful. And here, here's their problem, I think. I think in their comfort, relative to the time, in their comfort, in their advancements, the lineage of Cain had abandoned God and embraced sin and Satan. Man, didn't that happen sometime? Man, we, we, we start to do pretty well, and suddenly we don't need God anymore, and, you know, we tend to fall away. Man, they were comfortable, isn't it? Man, when you have a half-hearted devotion to the Lord, when following the Lord becomes an afterthought, man, sin is crouching at your door, and it's eager to control you, and you've got to subdue it and make it and be its master because if you don't, it will master you. The Lord warned Cain of that when he had offered an unacceptable offer, uh, sacrifice. He said, do what's right, and it'll be accepted. Man, we always see somehow, well, pride comes before the fall. Isn't that true? Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before the fall. In the message of Genesis, Atkins, Atkinson wrote, he said, Lamech, it's kind of interesting, he calls it a taunt song because the way it's actually written out is like poetry or a song. So he was definitely bragging. Lamech's taunt song revealed the swift pro progress of sin. Where Cain had succumbed to it, Lamech exalts in it. He's like, man, this is awesome. I killed that dude. He said, dude, he won't ever do that to me again. Now, you've got to wonder why he called his wives together to tell them that, too. Make sure they got the message. It's that attitude of blatant defiance that sets the stage for God's judgment of a depraved, sin-filled earth in the account of the flood in Genesis chapter 6. Uh, because of the evil of mankind, God brought, God brought forth a great flood covering the earth during the time of Noah. And it's at that time that Cain's descendants ended. His lineage was over. And they were wiped out. The rainbow, it's a, it's a sign of God's promise to never destroy the world by flood again. Uh, what an awesome sign. But sin still crouches at the door. Paul exhorts us in Romans 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Man, we need to have that sober self-assessment on a regular basis. 
because we can start to fool ourselves. Am I living up to and living out the faith that I have, the faith that God has given me? Man, I mean, we're all at different places. But to the faith that you have, that you proclaim, are you living it out in such a way that you bring glory to God? Man, we're not all in the same place in our walk of faith, but a half-hearted surrender is still not an acceptable offering to God. Remember our nutshell? With a half-hearted devotion to God, you'll turn away from Him and towards sin and Satan. Without repentance, rebellion always increases, resulting in more sin and greater separation from God. Might as well go with our short version again. <laughs> Sin's slippery slope sucks. No t-shirts, no uh, bumper stickers, just hold on to it. <laughs> Sin and Satan sucks the purpose of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, and the joy of Jesus right out of your life. And sin is still crouching at your door. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I'll read this one more time. I heard a preacher say one time, he said, uh, You know, I'm not repeating myself because I'm getting forgetful. I repeat myself so you don't forget. <laughs> Genesis 4, 7, you will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Man, I got no doubt that there's somebody in here this morning that lost sleep last night because they have sin in their life that's controlling them and they can't get away from it. I guarantee it. Man, is it because your loyalty, your devotion is half-hearted and is split between the Lord Jesus and the world? Because if you're sitting on the fence, we know who owns the fence, right? Satan, and he is perfectly content for you to hang out on his fence with a half-hearted devotion to God. But I want to tell you, you don't have to be there. The antidote to being a slave to sin is being a wholehearted surrender to Jesus. Right, as a slave of Christ, following and loving him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and body, and strength. Man, true freedom, freedom is yours. Uh, the victory's already been won, but will you do what is right and be acceptable sacrifice to the Lord? A wholehearted divorce, devotion. You know, uh, I didn't tell you I was going to say this. Uh, Cynthia and I have this little thing we say to each other. It's not that bad. It is that bad. It'll embarrass me more than it does her. <laughs> now, we tell each other, man, all of me loves all of you. All of me loves all of you. Aww. Man, I surrender my will, my way. I don't demand my rights. She does. Man, I see. <laughs> Wait a minute. That came out wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped two words early. She does the same thing. Three words early. No, we don't demand our will. We don't demand our way. And we try to do what we need to do. Right? We sacrifice all that we are and all that we have to each other rather than trying to see what we can get from each other. Man, and that's the very picture 
of Jesus on the cross. That's what he did for you. He didn't go his will. When he was in the, the Garden of Gethsemane praying, he said, Lord, if there's a way that you can take this cup away from me, do it. But if not, not my will, but yours be done. He sacrificed all that he was on the cross. And he died a criminal's death so that our sins could be forgiven. He did all of that for you on the cross. Wholehearted devotion. It's a, it's a decision of the mind. It's a commitment of your will. And it's in the devotion of your heart. And Jesus wants to do that last part in you right now. Man, it's sanctification. It's sanctification, being set apart, being holy unto God for his purpose, not ours. Man, and the Lord God will do it. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this. says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and make your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, what an awesome scripture that is. Man, that's my prayer for each one of us today, that we, we make a decision of the mind. Once unto salvation, right, believing by faith, that Jesus' death and resurrection paid the penalty for your sins and you're forgiven by the grace of God. And then for every day after that, you do make a decision of the mind to continue with following Jesus. Right? It's a commitment of your will to do so wholeheartedly. Right? Surrender everything to Jesus, all that you have and all that you are. Right? The good, the bad, and the ugly. We're all about surrendering the ugly stuff. I don't want that in my life no more. Well, some of us are. Sometimes we struggle with that. Man, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything that you have, surrender it to him and let him deal with it. And get this, man, the devotion of your heart, man, it'll come as you do the previous two. Man, a devoted heart is a heart that's being transformed. It's a heart that's being transformed. You're being sanctified. You're being made holy. You're being set apart for God's purposes. Man, when we spend time in the presence of God, in his word, he will change your heart. Now, I'm going to ask the band to come on up. Ezekiel prophesied in Ezekiel 36, 26. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You see, the more you follow Jesus, the more you walk in his ways... The more you can say, as it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I trust the Lord with all my heart, and I don't lean on my own understanding. In all my ways, I submit to Him, and He makes me have straight paths. Man, how awesome is that? Man, the more you pray, you can say, as Psalm 51, 10 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The more you'll be able to, to live with this in Proverbs 4, 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Man, don't compromise. Keep your heart. Guard it. Man, this is what I want the prayers of our heart to be. In this psalm from David, Psalm 19, verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My God, my rock, and my redeemer. In Psalm 73, verses 25 through 26, it's a a psalm of Asaph. He says, Who have I in heaven but you? And earth is nothing 
and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my portion forever. Man, my prayer is that that would be, uh, that we would be that church that is wholeheartedly surrendered and devoted to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May our lives be acceptable to our Lord. Man, be an acceptable sacrifice. Man, stop the generational descent of sin and leave a legacy of faith in Jesus, empowering generations to come. Man, one decision, one decision. Cain killed his brothers, done. He couldn't take that back. But he could have repented, and he could have turned, and God would have received him. Six generations later, his family line is gone. But that's not the end of the story. You see, the end of chapter 4, and spoiler alert if you've read ahead, hadn't read ahead, uh, Eve had a son named Seth after Abel was killed. And, uh, and then Seth had a son. And you know what happened then? The Bible says, and they began to call on the name of the Lord. That's the line of Noah. Man, don't miss out on what God has for you. He loves you perfectly. You have value. You have purpose. And you are loved. Now let's pray. Father God, I love you and praise you. You are indeed an awesome Holy Father. I thank you for your word that speaks truth into our lives. Even in the, the chaos that comes from sin that just keeps going on and on and lord we recognize that sin isn't always crouching at our door too often it makes its way inside so we praise you for your grace and your mercy we praise you for your son that died on a cross that we might truly live i thank you for that i praise you for it lord i pray that you would move here today for those that have that sin sitting in their life and it seems to control them, know that you are the God that is in control. May they turn to you today in repentance to receive the restoration you freely offer in Christ. And it is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. And I'd love to pray with you. Uh, grab your neighbor. Pray in your seat if you want to. But do business with the Lord. Don't miss out when God's working because there's a distraction nearby and you're just putting it off for later because we're never guaranteed another day. And we've had four funerals in the last two weeks. Man, if that's not witness enough to how short this life is, man, I don't know what else is. Love y'all, man. God's got so much for us, so much as a church. Don't miss out. Amen. When I'm in the valley when my body, my body's weak When life's chains are shackled Upon my feet I will fear, I will fear no evil Death has lost Death has lost its sting 
Love falls all, love falls all around me. Love rescues me. <laughs> 